Should I have somebody bring me up a beer? I can't believe you already don't have one. Do you both have a beer right now? Yeah. Jim? I have bourbon. I'll be right back. <laughs> You'd think he would have planned ahead and gotten the beer. This is great. <laughs> this is like the best opening ever. Are we ready? <clears throat> I thought we had already started. We don't start until I do the whole start thing. Okay. I need, yep. You know what? This whole thing has taken so long. <laughs> I need to go get another beer. It's seven okay. minutes. Hang on one second. I, I got to go get another beer. Oh, yeah, oh. I'm going to refill my bourbon. Prima Donna's. I actually have a second beer here ready, but I'm worried about the state of my first beer because this has taken so long. There's nothing worse than being stuck in the middle of one of these podcasts and not having enough beer. Did Jim really leave us? Apparently, he's refilling God too. Damn it, I'm going. That's it. That's it. I'm out of here. Kirk's gone. You blew it, Jim. So, I guess I'm doing the podcast all on my own. So, Media Loper Bebop, August 3rd, 2011 edition. Hello, is Sorry. Kirk back yet? No, I'm doing the podcast on my own. Oh, are you? Okay. <laughs> So what would you talk about while we were gone? Well, I'm about to talk about The Clash, what I missed. MTV Turns 30, and Game of Thrones. Tim was starting the podcast without us. <laughs> can, we, can we start now? I've been re I'm ready to start. Jim, once again, I'm going to say, take control of your goddamn podcast. That was another six minutes lost. It's 7-11 on Wednesday, August 3rd, 2011, and tonight on the only podcast that matters. MTV turns 30, and we take a look at its cultural impact. Then, is Game of Thrones getting ready to take over the world? Also, London Calling is being used as the tourism jingle for the 2012 Olympics, and we wonder if anybody involved with that decision has actually, you know, listened to the lyrics. Finally, Tim Gaskell shares what's in his mix. All that in a musical moment with Swerve Driver on Media Loper Bebop episode 13, Phony Clash Mania. Hi, I'm Jim Connolly, and I'm not wearing any shoes. And with me as always are Sir Tim Gaskell. <clears throat> also not wearing shoes. And Master Kirk Biglione. Yes, and I have a backup beer for my backup beer. So by the time we started, you already finished one, and now you have... No, 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 no. I'm still working on the first beer, but I have a backup beer for my backup beer because it's taken so long to, you know, get going. Ten but, minutes. But now that things are underway, I'm optimistic that... As a, as a computer person, you always have backups. Right, this is true. Yeah. Kirk's, yeah. Be Kirk's beers are redundant. I have a raid array of beers. <laughs> This week, MTV, the erstwhile music television cable channel, turned 30 years old. Now, as someone who hasn't watched it since they transformed Ozzy Osbourne from the Prince of Darkness into the King of Falling Off of Chairs, I really can't comment about their er current incarnation as a full-blown reality TV engine, except to say this. It's not permanent. MTV has never been permanent. It's always moved with the culture, and somehow, whether we like it or not, it's managed to stay relevant for 30 years now. Love it or hate it, that's quite an achievement. So I have two questions. One, is MTV the biggest pop culture player of the past 30 years? And two, has MTV been on balance, 
good or bad for pop culture? You're asking that question when we're living in the midst of the internet era. Hmm. Yes. MTV is a spec. (laughs) MTV had an impact in its era when it came out, but, but in retrospect, it really was the bottom of the barrel for passive media. You've got what? You've got redundant pop songs. And then you've got this concept of redundant radio formats where they play redundant pop songs. And then you add to the mix that it's a video, so you have to watch it. MTV was designed to create zombies. Um, <laughs> that's Tim? true. But, uh, well, it's, let, for, MTV was basically, um, you know, it, it was a formatted radio station with videos is basically what it was. What it was. That was 30 it, years ago. Things, things but, have changed slightly in that time. Yeah, but does yeah. anyone watch MTV anymore? No one our age does. But, but. but does anyone any age watch MTV? Yeah, but Kirk, hang on. Yeah, let's, let's get down to the, the facts here. The MTV Movie Awards... <laughs> Is it the okay. movie awards? They just I forgot had? that. I forgot all about those. That puts it into perspective. Go on. I'm okay. listening. <laughs> okay. I just read a thing today where the MTV uh, movie awards, they had like 26 million viewers. That makes it relevant. Also, uh, what makes it relevant is, is, is whether we like it or not, and God knows I hate all of this shit, The Hills, Spencer and Heidi, Jersey Shore, all of the reality shows that they have made into big pop culture sensations. And you know, they 26 million viewers, though, back to Tim's point, if yeah. I can rebut that before we get to your point, Jim. 26 <laughs> million viewers is what you two did for goddamn Justin Bieber. <laughs> right. And exactly. Justin Bieber is huge. Are you saying he's not relevant? I'm saying that he didn't need MTV to become relevant. No, you're right. Okay, so Kirk's point being we don't need MTV today. That's absolutely true because there are other methods to get your to get your thing out there and to become popular. But MTV's absolutely. not about that anymore. But but we're looking at if we just look at historical perspective here, MTV after 30 years, you know, it started off. It was a cultural thing. It was before the internet. We sat down. Right. There, was nothing, there was nothing else to do but watch there was nothing MTV. Else, right. But that's it was, why, it was a vast cultural wasteland but, when, when even MTV seemed like a good idea. But even Kirk, we would sit and watch just so we would watch that one time a month they would throw on like a jam video. Yeah, or, this is true. This is, they be, it became like a national radio station. So in that respect, it had a cultural impact. And it exposed people to new artists that they would have never in a million years been exposed to. Yeah. But, but it very quickly became what it was trying to replace. Right. But, you, you know, they, they found, they, they said, okay, there's niche markets out there that we can tap into. So they had the heavy metal show. Right. They had, they had the alternative music show. They had, I don't know if they had Yo, a, MTV Raps. Yo, they had the rap show, exactly. So they, Well, they, remember, though, for the longest time, the, the slam against MTV was that it was white. Well, the, in, in, the, in the early in years, the early years. It, until, yeah. you know, they decided it, Michael Jackson is close yeah. enough to being white. We it can, was, wasn't until the, yeah, it wasn't until the mid, almost the mid-80s before they broke the color barrier. And so 27 Prince, years ago, they, they, they broke the color barrier out of their 30 years. Right. Prince okay. And, yeah, and that's Jackson. something no one's talking about today. Well, because it was it was it was 27 years ago, 
Well, but we're talking about 30 years of MTV. Or are we talking about the last 27 years of MTV? No, 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 no. That, the, my point is, is that they, you're right. They start off as a rock channel as, and defined a new, in that. A, a new wave. Right. But, Come on. They but, give a platform to the buggles. World once, War II had only been over for 40 years, you know. <laughs> Before the buggles became yes. So basically, <clears throat> yeah, but let's, in M MTV, it, it, it did, it served a function at the time and it virtually created reality TV with the real world, which I've, I've never, I've never seen an episode of, and I hope I never do, but. Thank God, because where would we be if that had not led to like Big Brother? I, I watched right. a couple of seasons of the real world. But but the thing is, you know, I'm I'm not a big reality TV fan, but it is a niche market. It is huge. It it creates jobs and people want you know, there there's plenty of entertainment stuff out there, drama, whatever you want to watch. There's plenty of that out there too, but there's also plenty of this stuff. And MTV, you know, for whatever they they, they did that. Then they also but they also spun off things like the Unplugged yep. series. They VH1 spun off of. Uh, MTV to cater basically to our generation, and they create they and then, then they spun off their own things like storytellers and stuff like that. Behind so, the music was it is and was has become a complete trope and and the right. way documentaries are done for better or worse. Yeah, behind the music and bands reunited, one of my favorite shows ever. Also, let's not forget John Stewart, Dennis Leary, Ben Stiller before he became bad. I mean, a lot oh. of comedians, um, uh, Beavis and Butthead, okay, so Mike Judge. A lot of these people may not have gotten their start, but they got their name You on MTV. When MTV wasn't reality, they weren't doing music videos all the way, and they were this this weird channel. They didn't know what they were going to be, except they were trying to figure out what the kids liked. And that's what MTV's always done, is try to figure out what the kids liked. And God knows that ain't us. Right. You know, they they've, they created reality reality tv and killed good taste they gave us the cutting edge they gave us the cutting edge exactly so there there are some good points and bad points you know it's not really relevant other than kind of as a brand today for their award shows and for the other shows that i have no interest in but you know i kind of recognize them as a as a force to be how about that mtv digital music see service? i can't i can't i can't um say that MTV, how do I put this? I, it's weird that you dismiss MTV's reality shows and and that culture they've created, Tim, when you like American Idol. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, well, that's, it, it is, it is kind of interesting, though, that you, know, you would expect that MTV would have put those pieces together before American Idol or whatever it's based on happened. Mm. MTV had... They, sh they should have hit on that concept way before anyone else did. When was the last time either of you watched MTV? 1986. Well, you were in England, Tim. I was, exactly. I was in England. I think, you know, when I, the last time I saw it was I came over, and I think I was at Kirk's house. And, <laughs> and Kirk had uh, it on. In, in, in which city? No, hang on. You were in, like, Van Nuys or something, and I think we watched... I think I watched Nirvana Unplugged. Okay. That sounds that's, right. That's the last time I saw it. That's the last time you ever watched it. Well, unless I'm walking by 
Um, the office, I used to work across the street from MTV in Santa Monica, you know, unless I'm seeing it on monitors somewhere. Right, right, right. That's it. Yeah. We, yeah, I, it. I watched the Osbournes. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. So, we all watched the Osbournes. So that was like 2002, I think. And that was, that was it. That was the last time. And even that second season kind of was the same as the first season and we stopped, stopped watching it. But after that, no. But is that when they jumped the crazy train? <laughs> I, I guess there are two questions here. When was, when was the last time you watched, literally, and when was the last time you watched, as in watching it in the way that it was originally intended to be watched? Oh, probably not. I mean, early 90s, maybe. <clears throat> well, the, the, the way it was intended to be watched originally was the same way you listened to radio. Except that... When you're listening to radio, you can do something else. When you're watching TV, you're supposed to be watching TV. So was, it's, it was intended to incapacitate the viewer. <laughs> well, there was, some appointment, there was a lot of appointment TV with MTV, but to be fair. Like Saturday, I don't know if you guys remember, on Saturday night, they had their in-concert series or yep. whatever it was called. And that was, you know, they had some great shows, and that was something I, I did watch. MTV I, wasn't so much appointment TV as it was serendipity TV. Right. Hey, you know, I did an MTV commercial. For? Back in 82, when it first went on the air in Fresno, they had a um, contest, and I entered, filled out the ticket, stuck it in the fishbowl at Tower Records, and they called me, and there were like <laughs> six people who won. And it was tickets to the Us Festival. <laughs> the 82 or the 83 Us Festival? The... 83. Three, it must have been. Okay, because it was it was Talking Heads. No, no 82. That was, that was the one Tim and I went to. It was Ramones. It's 82. Yeah, okay. So that's what it was. And um, and the deal was to get my tickets, I had to go down to the cable station. Cable and, four. Cable four. <laughs> And there was like, they made an appointment where all the winners showed up and they had like one video of all the winners together saying, I want my MP MTV. And then they had each individual winner had to do a separate holding up the tickets and saying, I want my MTV. <laughs> <laughs> they made me do so many takes. <laughs> Maybe. Because I refused to say it in the way they wanted me to say it. I, I would kill, I would kill to have a tape of that. Where did you have And so for weeks afterwards they showed like all the winners doing I want my MTV <laughs> and they never showed mine once. <laughs> and thus you hate MTV ever since. So did they say can you do that once more with a bit of feeling is that was Is that what they said? Kirk, I do can, like, you pl can you I please I want my MTV? <laughs> I, I want my MTV. <laughs> I want my MTV. I <laughs> please, Kirk. One more take. <laughs> yeah, one more for posterity. I want my MTV. <sighs> okay, well, we've learned something about Kirk that <laughs> he loves his MTV. Kirk loves his MTV. If if we can take anything from this segment, it's that Kirk loves his MTV. This is Jim Connolly with a musical moment to die for.
Sometimes it takes just a single moment to make you want to reevaluate your entire opinion of an artist. Which is exactly what happened to me when, 15 years after it initially came out, I was suddenly, totally, and utterly bowled over by the jumble of drums and guitars that framed the chorus of Swerve Driver's 1993 single, Duel. from Swerve Driver's second album, Mezcal Head, an album that I owned back in 93, and like the band, I thought was good but not particularly special. And in fact, I never bothered with any of their other records after that. Boy, was I wrong. Because after being so completely blown away by Duel, I had no choice but to go back and revisit Swerve Driver's entire catalog with new ears, and now I think they're one of the key lost bands of the 1990s. All because of a chorus it took me 15 years to get. That was Swerve Driver with Duel, a song with a musical moment to die for. It sure seems like Game of Thrones is having its cultural moment. People are reading the books, catching up on the HBO series, and in some cases, both. I'd never even heard of it until HBO started running ads for it last year, but I thought the first season was the best thing I'd seen on HBO since Tony Soprano went to black, and I'm now reading the books. And since Tim and Kirk have just finished their first... And since Tim and Kirk have just finished the first season, I finished. God damn it! And since Tim and Kirk, God damn it! God damn it! God damn it! <laughs> and since, let's all say God damn it! God's damn it! And since Tim and Kirk have just finished the first season, I figured we'd take some time and talk about it. So, Kirk, Game of Thrones seems like it's not something normally on your radar. Why did you watch it? <laughs> <laughs> and what did you think? Okay, so. You know, I talked last week about uh, what was in my mix and how <laughs> uh, sometimes the wife makes requests. Right. So um, it was a similar situation with Game of Thrones. Not the kind of show I would normally pick to view. <laughs> sometimes in a relationship, you make you know compromises. That's the way it works. And and. Uh, at some point, I knowingly installed on Cassia's iPhone the DirecTV app, which allows her to search for shows and add them to add the season pass, essentially, or the season pass equivalent, because that's a trademark of TiVo. Um, and so she added um, Game of Thrones, and it sat there on the DVR, and you know it got to the point where our default setting is only hold five episodes. Right. And so we got to the point where there are five episodes, and, and I said, you know, if we're going to watch this, we should watch this, because, you know, there are only five episodes. We're going to start losing episodes. We'll lose the season premiere. So we set out to watch it, and right away I notice it's in standard definition. Oh, no. 
would Ooh. think a modern television series on HBO would be in HD, right? You'd think, yeah, absolutely. And then the thing that really confused me is they're speaking Spanish. <laughs> and I had, you know, okay. I hadn't been following, you know, a lot about this series, but, you know, I had read a few things, and I don't remember anyone talking about it being in Spanish. That's not something that... So we realized at this point that um, we were recording the wrong channel. <laughs> H- HBO Latino or whatever it is. That's Kirk, Kirk, can yeah. I have a word, quick word with you? Right. That's what happens when you let the wife set the, <laughs> set the controls. Just little... Yes. Wait, wait, wait. We should make a pact right now that if any one of us die early, one of the other two will actually take over the control of the media center. Yes. I, I believe that's something Roxana is actually concerned about. <laughs> I think we need I to make a blood conversations. Yes. I mean, even if, I mean, I've left explicit instructions, but still. Yep. So anyway, being the good husband that I am, I sought the program out on HBO on demand, which you can get on DirecTV, and we were able to watch all of the episodes that way. So what do you think of it, Kirk? I enjoyed it. It's not the normal thing that I would would seek out on my own. It's not the normal thing I would watch. It was It was fine. I certainly, I'll say two things. One is I have no interest in reading the books. Okay. And two is the thing I would compare it to that I also watched that is normally not something I would be interested in at all is True Blood. Mm. Where I watched the first season of True Blood and I thought it was pretty good. And then I watched the second season and it became very disillusioned. And by the first episode of the third season, it's like, that was it. This has gone too far. I'm never going to watch this again. Mm. Yeah, so, I got episode two episodes into True Blood and said, no, I'm out. So we'll see how this goes in season two and season three, and they're talking about this might go on for... 20 years. (laughs) As long as he wants to keep writing books. But um, I think probably I'll do better with this, though, because I just really have a problem with vampires. Tim, what did you think of Game of Thrones? In in one word, total awesomeness. That's two words. (laughs) That, no, in the German, it's one word. Awesome Freudemum? It's yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> okay, I'm a big I'm a big fantasy fan. I love fantasy. I love Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. I love the Terry Goodkind sort of truth books. I've read Legend of the Seeker. <laughs> first three. I've watched Legend of the Seeker. I enjoyed that show immensely. I just love I just love fantasy stuff. I don't know why. I just do. And uh, but the thing about Game of Thrones is. Um, it's not uh, one of the big things I was looking for was like the the element of magic and everything, and that kind of that kind of comes in really late, very late, very late in the show, and uh, it's just got everything that I love. And the the show itself, I I picked up one of the book, the first book, a while back from the library, and I was going to start reading it, but I just wasn't kind of in the in the right mood for it or whatever. And then I knew this TV series was coming out, and I knew I would watch it. And then I figured, well, I'll just go back to the books because then, then I have like the you know the characters and the images and everything. It's kind of easier to go back and read when you have that. But um, I have to say, I thought they did um, a spectacular job with everything. The cast is awesome from top to bottom. I love you know Sean Bean especially. Um, the writing's great, obviously. The 
Um, I, I like the fact that they've toned down. You know, it's not like overdone with digital effects and everything. It's 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 very real. It's raw. It's you know, it's very it's, raw. It's very raw. And the thing is, a lot of times this kind of stuff is really glossed over. We we really just kind of skim the surface of kind of you know we're we're talking about people who are are dirty and there's blood and every you know and and there's just kind of all this kind of wrong sex like incest and things and stuff like that but um you know the show is something i i can't wait to see season 2 because th- this just hits all the right marks for me perfect uh, 10 out of 10 show so and the thing you hit on i think maybe is the thing that allowed me to watch the whole first season and be engaged is that even though it's fantasy, there's this element of realism, right? Kind of the grittiness. It's like, you know, yes, it's got horses, dirt, costume, accents, all the things that I have allergic reactions to, (laughs) (laughs) but it's that it, it pulls them all together in a way that has this kind of, you know, sort of, neo-realistic quality to it even though there is that fantasy element and then also you know all the power struggles that are going on all the stuff that basically the story is all about is really just kind of engaging and interesting and yeah it's as much about politics as as it is about anything yeah so i am you guys probably know this uh, tim i know for sure because he's known me ever since then i've read lord of the rings i don't know two or three dozen times probably and and in a weird way that gave me this uh almost a kirk-like allergic reaction to other fantasy i've never really liked any other fantasy until now i wasn't really sure i was going to like this and the first episode was pretty good and then they they it's 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 in a weird way it's like uh other genre shows like Battlestar Galactica or Deadwood, where they they set up the trappings of the genre show, and then they use that those trappings to explore other things. And in this case, it's really as much about politics and in people dealing with with set cultural mores and how they live within those those, those set cultural mores when the world is changing as much as anything else. And in this case, their world is really in stasis because if, 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 if their civilization has been around for 8,000 years, 8,000 years. Okay. And they're still, you know, um, swords and plowshares mm-hmm. and either a, for most of those 8,000 years, they had to be relying on magic to get shit done. And it's just gone away. And now they're stuck in this, this, this medieval civilization or B there's something else going on that doesn't let them, progress the way that that our western civilization has progressed in only you know 2000 years i have been fascinated by the la times critics criticism of game of thrones which um did either of you read this this is no. like a, a thing a few weeks back okay. obsessed with the amount of of sex sexploitation felt, or no sex position felt there was too much sex. Specifically, she felt there were too many female breasts. A, that's impossible. Woman writing it felt B, that there that's were... impossible. Now, it was... She didn't say anything about the violence, which is also very graphic. Gratuitous horse violence. Yeah. I mean, I, 
nothing about that. And it occurred to me because the violence we know is fake. The breasts are real. Therefore, we should fear them. <laughs> so after this review, for like the next four episodes, which was the rest of the season, I did oh, no. an informal nipple count. count. You did a count. <laughs> and without exception, there are more male nipples than female nipples on this show. Well, Drogo himself. Or she didn't say anything about shirtless men. No, she's only offended by topless women. See, that's just that's what, television criticism that's, at its worst. It wasn't just her. A lot of criticism of the show was um, characters talking about stuff while people were doing sexual acts or or half naked. And like I said, sex position was the phrase that came up about it. And there was a lot of hand wringing about it. Uh, in, in the critical community and it's like A, it's HBO and then B, B this is how these I mean maybe this is how these this people This is an live. alternate reality. Yeah, exactly. Well, and they asked George R. R. Martin about this in an interview. I can't remember where it is. I've got it bookmarked. Um, and he felt that they did a really good job of translating his book, including everything that is in the book. Yeah. And he felt, yes, there were some sex scenes they invented, but there were some sex scenes that they left out. So on balance, it was about the same. This podcast is a presentation of Media Loper Bebop. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of the commissioner of Media Loper Bebop is prohibited. Um, I don't know if I told you guys this, but future podcasts are going to be sponsored. Oh, no, that's great. You didn't, so you didn't we're tell probably going to make enough to like pay the participants. Um, well, here's the thing. First of all, it's our old uh, it's our old friends at Durosport Electronics. Wait, friends? I seem to remember they <laughs> tried to sue us at least once because of reviews of their products. Well, yes, and and that's why they're our sponsor. Weird enough. Um, so they sued us for, I, what was it, like 2006, we did a review of their Prism Durosport? 2002, early 2007, yeah, that media player came out, and it was really Terrible. bad. They sued us, and in Moldova, they won. And apparently, they won, even though it was a review, they won because in Moldova, if you even mention a Moldovan company in a review, you're automatically guilty of libel. That's probably why they don't review many Moldovan companies exactly. in the U.S. at least. And we didn't know that. We were a new blog at the time. So the thing is, is that instead of them coming to us and dragging us back to Moldova and tossing us in prison, Commissioner Loper worked out a deal where they'd sponsor our podcast but not pay us anything. Right. What kind of- so we're- we, was, this, was this the deal that we brokered with the U.N.? No, so so this is kind of like Jim. A, once again, I have to say you need to take control of your podcast. This is not my doing. This is Commissioner Gordon Loper, our Commissioner of Media Loper Bebop, who worked this deal out to keep us out of fucking okay. Moldovan dungeons. Okay? And say I'm going to have to talk with Gordy. You are going to nope. have to talk with him because this is out of my hands. And in future weeks, we're going to have to do commercials for the the. Okay. I think it's called the Duro Cloud, their new cloud player. We need to take a vote. This is not, uh, oh, Tim, this is not. I'm golfing with Gordy next weekend, so I'll, I think I might be able to work this out. Anyways, that, that's, that's all coming up soon. I just want to like, give you guys a head up, heads up that we might have to like, do live commercials or, or they'll give us commercials or whatever. So we'll be sponsored, but we won't get a goddamn penny from it. We'll I guess placement. as long as we don't have to use the product. 
Well, they could send us Moldovan beer, okay? <laughs> no, have you tasted Moldovan beer? Actually, yeah, I have. It's terrible. It has like a negative alcohol. It sucks alcohol out of your blood system. It's what yeah. you use to get sober when you're really, really drunk, Moldovan beer. In The Clash's London Calling, the title track from a future Medialoper Bebop Hall of Fame candidate, London is depicted as a wasteland, ravaged by floods, nuclear radiation, and filled with zombies. All in all, not a very pleasant place. Which is why, in an age where we've got used to dodgy uses of pop songs for commercial interests, the recontextualization of London Calling as a jingle encouraging people to come to the 2012 Olympics seems particularly egregious. Tim, you lived in London. What the fuck are they thinking over there? Well, here's the thing, and I'd, I'd like to sum up, um, if you guys read The Last Gang in Town, did everybody read that? Yes. Nope. By Marcus Gray, Kirk? Nope. Yep. Nope. No? Nope. Not a Clash fan, are you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. no, I am a Clash fan, I just haven't read that book. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. You, I'm you pretty sure that? reading that book now is, 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 is like part and parcel of being a Clash fan, right, Tim? Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, Marcus Gray had a he he commented on this, and uh, I will quote him. And his his thing kind of makes a bit of sense, but still, um, he says it's instantly recognizable and superficially the perfect invitation to the capital and the world's premier sporting event, but it's actually about the end of the world, at least as we know it. So, <clears throat> so yeah. So basically, the thing is, you you take two words from the song "London Calling," and you forget the rest of the lyrics. You just focus on London Calling, and it, you just go from there. It, it, it's kind of, um, it, it pulls you in. I guess that's the idea The behind the marketing is people don't listen to lyrics. That's the, you know, London is drowning. I live by the river. You know, nobody, nobody listens. Nobody listens. Nobody even knows which river it is. River Thames, Thames, right? <laughs> yes. <clears throat> so... The, the you know, God, the lyrics are just so kind of dark, and it just it make it would make no sense. It's a bit like, <clears throat> it's a bit like getting the one I love at uh, a wedding. The right, exactly, exactly. Isn't it the perfect way though to encourage people to come to Trafalgar Square to watch beach volleyball? Beach volleyball <laughs> in Trafalgar Square. Oh my God! <laughs> Around the fountain. <laughs> so I have three possible scenarios. Okay. One is the Olympic Committee knows what they're doing, and they mean it as an ironic statement. Oh. That's the best case scenario. Tim, is One, there irony in England? <laughs> uh, no, they, you know they don't get irony in, in England. Okay. Oh no, wait, two, that's what they say about us. Never mind. <laughs> two is they know what they're doing, and they don't give a damn because the song reaches the right demographic. Is that that's us though, and we're thinking. That we're yes, stupid. exactly. We have reached the age where we have the buying power, and we can travel, and we can do all the stuff. And hey, it's that song we like. Let's go to London. And the third possible option is they know what they're doing, and the end is really near, and we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so, how, because the, the rapture is two months from now, I think. A sign of the rapture is that they use London Calling to promote the Olympics. Okay, that's that's. I mean, it just seems silly to me. But but at the same time, it, it's hard for me to work up ahead of steam because we've now had twenty years of 
misuse of pop songs to you know for car commercials and wow. and, and 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 diet colas and everything every other goddamn piece of 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 you know um every other piece of product in the entire universe so i mean this is just okay one more well and you and think you this had- won't touch the songs i love because oh it's the who yeah we expect that at pete townsend and then all of a sudden it's the jam and, <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden it's the pogues and it's like where does it end it doesn't end because the thing is is that especially as you get older it's like you know what i don't have any money i've 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 been an artist my whole life now i'd like to you know retire not living in a fucking garbage can but joe yeah. strummer's dead but but paul simon and, and, and mick jones aren't I mean, mick jones has mm-hmm. mick jones for sure has half the publishing on that in this case it's weird enough that i think joe strummer might have approved and also, Joe Strummer might be, yeah, exactly, maybe maybe zombie Joe Strummer, who's back in London, and the song London Calling is fine with it. He's, he's the one with the yellowy eyes. You know what? <clears throat> the last time we had the Olympics here, we should've, they should have used, I'm so bored with the USA. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of logic that... Uh, well, see, the next Olympics, that's what they'll do. Yeah, because everybody will be. Because we'll be a banana republic, and everybody will be bored with us. And and weirdly enough, it will be sponsored by Banana Republic, so that'll work out perfectly. Tim. Yes. <laughs> it's your turn for in the mix. In the mix. Go. Portugal, the man. I've never a band. I've never got into until this new album, In the Mountain, In the Cloud. Um, instantly, uh, it kind of instantly grabs you in. Uh, I really like this album a lot. Uh, it's almost all good, and I highly recommend it. Pace gives it like an 8.3. Um, check it out. It's poppy. It's good. Alaskan psychedelic rockers, soaring choruses, all the kind of stuff I kind of like. I especially, I'm big on Alaskan psychedelic rockers. Oh, well, because that's just a huge scene. Oh, it's massive. Yeah. It's, you, you, how, do you ex- how do you explain Sarah Palin? It's exactly. Psychedelics. <laughs> exactly. Um, the new Arctic Monkey, Suck It and See, I'm getting into. And also the Fountains of Wayne, Sky Full of Holes. Um, anyway, it's, it's Fountains of Wayne. That's all you really need to know. And because... You know, it's a Fountains of Wayne album, and you should have all of them. They're all great. And uh, this one kind of continues in the same tradition. You're not going to get um, a Fountains of Wayne uh, kind of hip-hop album or electronic album. You're getting a Fountains of Wayne album. And, and by the uh, way, that anybody who doesn't think they're an American treasure is dead yeah. wrong. Someone's going to break 
Um, a song, song of the week, uh, the new Jane's Addiction, Irresistible Force. I heard it on K Rock uh, yesterday. Absolutely loved it. And yeah, please do. That was um, I was very impressed. I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge Jane's Addiction fan. I, you know, you could <clears throat> give me maybe ten songs of theirs that I, I would happily listen to, but uh, I'm not a completist or that into them. But this this song really uh, really grabbed me from the beginning. Oh, sir. Just one more thing. One more thing. Tim. Oh, one more thing. Okay. Yesterday, a couple of things came out on the iPad. One of them is Skype on the iPad, which is the full-blown iPad 2 compatible version. I'm user testing it at the moment. I'm finding there are some little flaws like you can send text messages to people to their phones they can't send back but they can text you back if you're if they're also on the skype app on their phone or their ipad you just can't but you can send people text which is really handy the one thing you go into that screen though you have to quit the app if you want to get back into anything else so i think there's some bugs they need to work out but it's going to be great it's kind of a killer app it kind of completes the <clears throat> it kind of completes the uh, once Facebook, of course, launches their iPad app, and God knows why they're taking so long, it'll kind of complete the the necessary um, big apps. So that's my thing of the week. There was also <clears throat> wait, wait, you can't have my. That's my thing of the week, and then there was also. No, I just want to point. I'm just pointing <laughs> this out as a the flip side of it as well. There was like a, a Howard Stern app. You have to really be careful in the apps that you buy. You have to look, especially when they come out on the day. There was an I, there was a Howard Stern app that I, I that I downloaded and it was supposed to have like podcasts of the show or something, recaps, etc. etc. And it's not done. It's not complete. It's terrible. And I don't even know if it was a fan based thing or what. So you just you have to be careful out was there. Was that not free? Uh, it was like ninety nine cents, I think. Just, yep. just, just, just cheap enough that if it's a, not a real thing, that they'll still make a lot of money on it. And cheap enough where if it's if it's not a real thing, you can delete it and forget about it. I think this is a new segment. Instead of one more thing, we could do not a real thing. <laughs> yeah. One more thing, Kirk. Uh, the new Errol Morris film Tabloid is phenomenal. Um. His last movie, Standard Operating Procedure, about Abu Ghraib, very heavy, very dark. Uh, he's back to a lighter subject, um, and he's back to making his wacky documentaries, and it's just amazing. It's really, really good. It's one of those stories that is just, it's too strange for fiction. The only reason that it's believable is because it's real, and it happens to be an Errol Morris documentary. It's the story of... Um, Joyce McKinney, uh, who was a teenage beauty queen in the 70s, and her relationship with a Mormon missionary. And, uh, As they, they were, do. They were engaged to be married, and then he got sent by the Mormon uh, religion to London on his missionary service, and she believed that he had been kidnapped. So what would you do? She moved to Los Angeles to become a prostitute to raise money. As you do. <laughs> to go to London to kidnap him back. <laughs> 
And the whole story is just absurd, and it became a major tabloid story uh, in London, in the UK throughout 1977. Uh, and it's amazingly told and very well documented. It's a great movie. Uh, and it's one of those movies that just keeps getting stranger because he had her sit down for a couple of hours and he did interviews with her about the day, the days of you know when this happened. But she's been in the news since then. Uh, later on, she found out that she could you know, clone her dog. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so it's Mormon kidnappings and dog cloning. <laughs> dog cloning, uh, it, huh? It, it's extremely... Did you say dog? dog, yes. Well, so she paid... The dog that saved her life and was killed in the process, she saved the tissue... <laughs> <laughs> I just had to throw in that sound effect. That's a live sound effect. Hey, Gizmo! Gizmo! Oh, say hi. She sent the tissue off to some guy in China who could clone, who offered to clone her dog for like $150,000. And it sounds insane, except that she got five puppies. So that works out to thirty thousand dollars per cloned dog. Wow, that's really that's a, that's good, a bargain. That's a, bargain. That's a bargain. <laughs> that's awesome. Tabloid, Errol Morris, see it, one way or another. I'm sure it'll be out on DVD soon or Netflix or whatever. But Errol Morris in general is great. My my favorite documentarian, um, and uh, this is a return to form. Not that his last movie was bad, but, you know, kind of heavy. This is returned to, like, classical Errol Morris. Awesome. One more thing. Reissues. While the recent reissues of R.E.M.'s Life Ridge Pageant and Archers of Loaf, Icky Metal are awesome, I'm looking forward to the autumn, where a couple of my all-time favorites are being reissued. First, Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here, which is part of a larger Pink Floyd reissue project. And second, The Who's Quadrophenia, which is a top five all-time album for me. It, both those albums are going to have big deluxe reissues with like multiple versions and outtakes and demos and, and live versions. And I'm really looking forward to both of them. And then there's another reissue that I've been looking forward to for a long time that I'm kind of worried about. The Johnny Marr overseen reissue of the Smith's entire catalog. I'm worried about that too. <laughs> It's good because these albums have never been remastered for the digi for digital, but it's bad because there doesn't seem to be any way to buy the albums individually. And there's a bunch of overlap on the compilation albums that are involved, and and no unreleased songs, no demos, no extra live versions, and there's even songs that were on singles that were never collected on the compilation albums that you can only get if you buy the like the gigantic $400 super 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 deluxe. So, all things considered, until I can buy the albums I want individually, including The Queen is Dead, which is one of my all-time favorite albums, Boo on Rhino and Boo on the Smiths. Well, the, the two single compilations are pretty essential. The, well, there's three of them. Okay, three. there's Hatful of Hollow, there's The World Won't Listen, and Louder Than Bombs. And right. The World Won't Listen and Louder Than Bombs are pretty much the same album. Except for three or four songs. Except for right? three. They're pretty much the same album. So, you know what? Every other band has had these kind of US, UK, because The World Won't Listen was UK, Louder Than Bombs was US, 
Every other band that's had these kind of things has figured out a way to reconcile them or not make you buy them both. And so this just kind of seems like a little a little bit of bullshit. Repackage, they've, reissue. They've, well, done the, they've done the market research and they've figured out that Smiths fans are nuts. But 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 I'm a Hang huge on. Smiths fan. Oh wait. Hang on. Yeah, exactly. Kirk's point uh, entirely there. Now <clears throat> the thing is, Rhinos. The the pattern here is you always do the box set first, so you get the big bucks up front, and then six months later you release the individual albums. It will happen. I hope so because I'd like to hear good reissued or remastered versions of those those four studio albums and then the comp and then Hatful of Hollow and Louder Than Ball. I think Hatful of Hollow has already been reissued remastered, hasn't it? No, they did a huge called The Sound of the Smiths. They did a two CD uh, compilation which is awesome and it does have some of those rare singles on it. So right. you might want to check it out. I have it. Yeah. But listen to it. <laughs> I've listened to it. Can I borrow that? <laughs> yes, Kirk, you can. And that's it for Media Loper Bebop episode 13, Phony Clash Mania. So, guys, what have we learned this week? Uh, London Olympics is bitten the dust. Oh, that's nice. Kirk, what have you learned this week? Um, I'm not sure what I've learned. <laughs> You're learned- putting the pressure on me, Jim. <laughs> so, Kirk, Kirk, you have learned it's important to have beer backups. Yeah, this is true. That's true. Always have a backup beer for your backup beer. That's what I've learned. There you go. I'd like to thank Sir Tim Gaskell. Uh, pleasure. And Master Kirk Biglione. Yes. Yes. And, and naturally. Yes. And yes. And naturally, I'd like to thank you for listening to us yet again. Keep those cards and letters coming, and keep circulating the podcasts. I'm your host Jim Connolly, and we'll catch you again next week. Same Bebop time, same Bebop channel. <laughs>